Jesus, we ask for a fresh anointing of your spirit that you would guide us as we look at your word. As you tell us, your word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it pierces into the most inward parts of us, our hearts, our uh, bones, the marrow even, as your word says, God. And we know that there's power in your word, power to change us from the inside out. So I pray that we would experience that life-giving power uh, that your word has, that your word yields, Lord. So please, um, if there's any go- anything going on in, in our minds or our hearts that are distracting us from anything other than your word and what you want to speak to us tonight, I pray that you would uh, realign our hearts, that you would realign our focus, that we would get everything that you want us to get out of the passage tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As I mentioned... We're in 2 Samuel chapter 3. We got through the first 21 verses last week and we saw that David, though God hadn't completely fulfilled his promise to him yet, the promise being that David would become king of Israel, um, that promise is going to come and the promise is going to be fulfilled in 2 Samuel chapter 5. We'll get into that in a couple weeks, but we see At first, David is anointed king of Judah, and we see that in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 2. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then we see Abner, the commander of the army of the rest of the tribes of Israel. He anoints Ishbosheth as uh, as the king of the rest of Israel. Now, this was a direct act of rebellion. We saw last week that Abner knew. He knew that God had said that David was supposed to be the king. Abner did all this because he wants to be in a position of power. So there are all these things that are coming against David. Almost uh, seems like there are barriers preventing David from walking in that role and stepping into that position position as king of all of Israel. But as we discussed, regardless of these barriers that get put before David and the path he's walking down, God's promise still stands for David. And regardless of what things look like in our lives, if God has made a promise to us, he will see it to the end. It doesn't matter what things look like. Why? Because God sees differently than man sees. If he said it, He's going to do it. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, Abner kind of has a change of heart, right? <laughs> no longer does he want to support Ishbosheth because Ishbosheth accused him of sleeping with Saul, Ishbosheth's dad's concubine. Okay, now this was uh, not okay. We don't know whether Abner actually did this or not. The, the text doesn't tell us clearly. But this was enough for Abner to say, hey, I'm bailing on you and now I'm going to support David. But we know when Abner did this, he wasn't doing it to honor God. He was doing this to get in right standing with David so he could be like David's right hand man. And maybe Abner could become the commander of all of Israel including Judah. What we're going to see in the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 3 and also in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we'll see the difference between David and the other men that are discussed. 
David is very different than Abner and Joab and these two other guys that end up, we'll see in 2 Samuel chapter 4, they end up killing, murdering Ishbosheth. And what we see is, yes, David is a man after God's own heart. He has a different heart and he has a different way of doing things. The reason David does things is to completely honor God, to bring God glory where we see these other men listed in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and 4. They're seeking their own selfish gain. They're trying to position themselves in a place of power so they can have prominence and rule. The title of this teaching is Honor is Greater Than Power. Honor is Greater Than Power. Many people in the world and in the Bible and specifically in this text are power hungry. They're seeking for prominence. They're seeking for position. They want to get to the top and they don't mind uh, running over whoever they have to run over to get there. That's what we see in these te- this text uh, with these specific men. But on the other side of things, David, the way he's making decisions, now not every time, David's not perfect and he does make some mistakes, but we continue to see this heart of David that he truly does want to honor God. He truly does want to do the things that God is asking him to do. In Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs chapter 18, we see this proverb specifically about honor. And it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before humility, or before honor, is humility. So pride comes before destruction, and humility comes before honor. This word honor, in the Hebrew, it's the word kabod. It literally means to give weight to or value. To value someone or hold them in high regard. See, David honored God. He held him in high regard and because he sought to honor God and not put himself in the position of power. He wasn't seeking to honor himself. God ultimately put him in that position of power as king of Israel. See, when we honor God, he often honors us. When we exalt him, he often exalts us. But when we honor ourselves, lift ourselves up, guess what happens? God humbles us. We see this truth throughout Scripture. We're going to see this truth in this text as well. David is going to lift God up. He's going to honor God in the way that he speaks, in the way that he lives. And God is going to ultimately exalt David. These men that are power hungry, trying to exalt themselves, they will get humbled. It's 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21 Then Abner said to David, we finished here last week just to get some context. Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my Lord, the king. 
that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. If you remember, Abner made a covenant with David that he was going to support him. Then Abner went on basically this campaign to lead the elders or persuade them to make David the king of all of Israel. But it says at the end there, Abner went in peace, meaning he's in right relationship with David. And that's really what the author wants us to pull from this text. We'll see in verses 20, 22, and 23 that Abner was sent away in peace, or he went away in peace, meaning not only was he in good standing with David, but David was protecting him. They were not only in right relationship, but nobody was supposed to come against Abner. Remember, they had a big battle between Judah and the rest of Israel. Joab leading the tribe of Judah and Abner leading the rest of Israel. So they've had a feud. They've been in the middle of a civil war. Abner at this point, he's supposed to be protected. But look what happens. 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 22. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron. For he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab saying, Abner, the son of Ner came to the king and he sent him away and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he has already gone? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. So apparently this meeting happened when Joab, the commander of the army of Judah, was on a raid. So he comes back, he finds out that Abner, the dude that killed his brother, just made a covenant with David. So Joab, probably trying to be a good friend and a good commander, says, you really trust this guy? You trust this guy? We've been at war with this guy for years and you're going to trust him to keep his side of the covenant? He says, Abner's here to deceive you now. We know that there's probably some truth to this, that Abner was deceiving David, but not in the way probably Joab is thinking. I don't believe based on the text that Abner was just trying to figure out David's strategies and where he lived and how to attack him. I don't think that was the case, but we do see this element of deception with Abner because why he's trying to position himself with David. He's not doing this because God told him to uh, support David as king of Israel. No, he's doing this for himself. He's manipulative. He is deceptive. So there probably is a legitimate reason for uh, Joab uh, uh, basically calling Abner out on this thing that he's being deceitful, but it's probably not to the extent that Joab is referring to. I guess we'll never know. Look what happens. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 26. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, 
Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So, unbeknownst to David, Joab sends messengers after Abner to come back to Hebron. Abner probably thinking, well, me and David are good. I'm sure me and Joab will be fine. Okay, maybe David forgot to tell me something or me and Joab got to get together to figure out how this whole commander or army thing is going to work regardless of what was going through Abner's mind. He came. And it says, again, that Joab, he took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately. Now, we got to understand something. Hebron was a designated place of refuge, okay? So this place that Abner met David at was a place that he was supposed to be fully protected in Hebron. This is why Joab, technically, he takes him outside of the gate. That's why he meets him at the gate. He takes takes him right out of the city gates to justify murdering Abner. He didn't do it in Hebron, technically. So Joab... Obviously, he kills Abner. It says why. He stabbed him in the stomach because Abner, as we mentioned, he had killed Asahel, his brother, uh, Joab's brother. Remember, uh, Asahel was running after Abner and Abner said, hey, bro, you better back off, right? You better back off. I'm going to get you. And he said, no, no, no. The Asahel keeps running after him because he's fast like a gazelle. He thinks he's going to get Abner and wipe out the commander of Israel and then they can take over the rest of Israel. What happens? Abner just sticks his spear behind him and stabs Asahel. He ends up killing him. So Joab wanted vengeance. So he took vengeance into his own hands. Now, this is also something that we see that's different between Joab and David, right? The Lord says, vengeance is mine. And David understood that. He understood that clearly. God had avenged David time and time again. David didn't seek vengeance on his own. But Joab, on the other hand, he does. Now, there could have been, and there likely was, more than one reason why Joab was doing this. Well, we already see, the text says that he killed uh, Abner because he wanted to avenge his brother, in other words. But we also know that Joab thinks... At least he says that he's concerned that Abner is deceiving David. So Joab likely thinks that he's doing David a favor. Favor. We need to wipe this guy out. He likely thinks he's bringing honor to the king. He thinks he's bringing honor to David. But he's misrepresenting David's heart because this isn't the type of king that David is. He doesn't seek vengeance for himself. He allows the Lord to avenge him. That's point number one. Misrepresenting the king is dishonoring the king. Misrepresenting the king is dishonoring the king. See, Joab, he misrepresented David by killing this man that was supposed to be protected. And doing that, he brought dishonor to David's name and David's kingdom. But I'm not talking about King David. I'm talking about the son of David. I'm talking about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. See, we bear the Lord's names as believers, Christians. 
heard me say it before, but that word Christian, it means little Christ. We actually bear the name of Christ. And what does it mean to bear the name of Christ? Well, we see in the Bible that God's name is his character. So when we bear the name Christian, we're called to bear his character. Not only that, the Bible says that we're ambassadors here. For Christ. We're ambassadors. It's like we're in a foreign country representing our heavenly kingdom. That's exactly how we're called to live in this life. And you know what? Because we bear the name Christian, we represent Jesus no matter what. When we're walking in righteousness and when we're walking in sin, we can either represent him in a way that's going to bring him honor or we can represent him in a way that's going to bring him dishonor. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 20 says this, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see what Paul's telling us there? That we have a responsibility as to what kind of vessel we are. Whether a vessel of honor or dishonor. And how do we become a vessel of honor? Well, he tells us, purify yourself. Walk in purity. Live a righteous lifestyle. Do what you know to do. Imitate your king in a way that's going to bring him honor. I'm bearing his character. I'm bearing fruit of the spirit. This is how we become a vessel of honor. And it's so important that we choose to be vessels of honor. Why? Because again, we're ambassadors. We're representing the king of kings. So our representation can be a good one or it can be a bad one. It can be an accurate representation or a misrepresentation. How many times have you heard people say, I don't like the church because they're all hypocrites, right? I don't like the church. They're all hypocrites, right? And we all have sin and we all have struggles, but it is true. We're called to imitate him. We're called to be ambassadors for him. And when we misrepresent him, it gives God a bad name. We have a responsibility, whether we choose to take it or not, to draw people closer to Jesus or push them further away. Depends what kind of vessel we choose to be, one of honor or dishonor. See, Joab, he is misrepresenting his king. He's acting in a dishonorable way. He killed a man. We understand the guy killed his brother. But this man was supposed to be protected under the orders of David. Now, there's likely a third reason. There could have been many more. Uh, why Joab killed Abner. What do we know about Joab? He's the commander of the army of Judah. What do we know about Abner? He's the commander of the army of Israel. So, Joab probably doesn't know what David's going to decide to do. Maybe with this covenant, it doesn't say it in the text, but maybe part of it was that Abner was going to be the commander of the army of all of Israel. There's a great likelihood that Joab is trying to save his position. He wants to be the commander. He doesn't want to give up his job. Regardless, we do see that Joab does have this 
character quality in him that he's power hungry. We're going to see it later on in 1 Kings. He's going to actually rebel against the throne of David. But we can fall into this trap that Abner did as well. What do I mean? Seeking position, seeking prominence, not even in the world, even in the kingdom of God. The disciples did it. Look what happens in Luke chapter 22. And Luke chapter 22 says this. Verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Okay, we're talking about the disciples, right? They're living with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. They're talking with Jesus. They're experiencing the word of God in the flesh. And they're still talking about who's going to be the greatest. He's already addressed this topic many times before. And they still don't get it. They're still arguing. They're still disputing. I don't know what these conversations were like. But Peter might be like, hey, I'm the more outspoken one. So I should be the greatest in the kingdom. I should sit at the right hand of Jesus. We don't know how those things played out. But the text tells us that there was this dispute. I want this position. I want to be the treasurer. I want to be this in this position. Whatever the case may be. The Bible warns us of this. We're not to seek position. We're not to seek prominence. We're not to seek power. We're to seek the Lord and allow Him to put us in those positions. Seek God and allow Him to exalt us. And it's not, I seek God so that He'll exalt me. It's no, I exalt God because I love God. And if God sees fit to put me in this position, that's great. Because you know what Jesus says about positions? He says a lot. But in the same text, Luke chapter 22, He confronts them. He says to them, verse 25, Luke twenty two twenty five, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? Is it not... He who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves. Look at that. That's a smack right in the face. I wonder if Jesus is like serving him right then. You know what I mean? Like you guys are talking about being the best. I'm serving you guys, right? That's the greatest position. The heart of a servant. The one that's purposing to lift up other people, not lift up themselves. Remember, Jesus says it several times. If you want to be first, you got to be last. You got to be least. You got to put yourself behind everyone else. Treat others not just the way that you want to be treated, but but lift them up on an even uh, greater level than you would yourself, as Philippians chapter two talks about. So, Joab, regardless of all these reasons, the bottom line is he kills Abner. Abner is dead. Now I don't want to give Joab too much heat and pick on him too much because Abner has some responsibility in this too. Let's think about it. The reason Abner is dead is because he rebelled against God. What do I mean? Abner knew, we see in the text, that God had promised that David was going to be the king of Israel. And what did Abner do? He anointed Ishbosheth so he could have that position of power and prominence. If Abner would have submitted to the word of God from the beginning, he wouldn't be dead right now. 
Or maybe he could have died another way, but he wouldn't be dead for this reason. Remember, it was him who was seeking a fight with Judah. He sought that fight, not Joab seeking the fight. It was him who sought that fight with Judah. And what ended up happening? Asahel, Joab's brother, died. But it all was rooted in the fact that Abner rebelled against God's word. He rebelled against God's heart in making David the king. See, when we don't submit to the king of kings, when we don't submit to his word, it will always cost us something. For Abner, it cost him his life. Now, our rebellion might not cost us our lives, but it'll definitely cost us something. And it could cost us our lives. The text continues, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 28. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. David's like, no, no, no. Joab misrepresented my kingdom. This isn't on me. Uh, God knows that I had nothing to do with this. He continues in verse 29. Let it rest on the head of Joab and all, on all his father's house and let... There never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper or who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. David makes it clear that he has no part in this. And then he speaks a curse over Joab and the rest of his family. Point number two, when we dishonor the king, he disciplines us. When we dishonor the king, he disciplines us. Now, I'm not saying that God's speaking curses over us. But when we dishonor his name, he disciplines us. Why? It's not because he's embarrassed of us. And it's not like, he's like what's wrong with you? You misrepresented my name. He disciplines us for one reason, because he loves us. He disciplines us because he loves us and he wants the best thing for us says that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Scourges, sorry. So, God, he, he disciplines us because we are sons because we are daughters. And when we dishonor his name, we really put him in a situation. So he does just that. He makes a correction in our lives. Hey, there's this character quality that doesn't line up with my character traits. Sometimes he's got to get physical. Sometimes he's got to teach us painful lessons, but it's not because he's angry with us and he's looking down on us. No, it's because he loves us and he knows the best thing for us is to look more like him. So when we don't look like him, he'll bring things into our life to lead us to look more like him. And that can often come through the form of discipline. Now I need to make something clear. David didn't discipline Joab. He didn't discipline Joab. Why? Because he's not a perfect king. He's still a man. He spoke a curse over his life. But what he really should have done is had Joab killed. (laughs) At the very least, take him out of that position as commander of the army of Israel. But guess what he does? He lets him stay. He keeps him as the commander of the army of Israel. Joab didn't get the discipline that he deserved. Now, this was a very passive move on David's part. Now, we don't know what's going through David's mind. Maybe David's chalking it up as faith. Oh, well, God's had vengeance. Um, 
uh, for me in the past, maybe this time, he'll be the one that disciplines Joab. And that could be true. But this was a position that David was in as the king of Judah. He was, she should have done something. He should have at least disciplined Joab, but he didn't. I believe if David loved Joab anywhere close to the measure that God loves us, he would have disciplined him. Now, we don't know completely why he didn't. But the text shows us that he didn't. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 30. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother, Asahel at Gibeon, in the battle. Then... David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner and all the people wept. So David commands everyone to mourn over Abner, including Joab. I wonder how Joab felt about this situation. Uh, we don't know. The text doesn't say. But we see that King David, he's genuinely, sincerely mourning over Abner because he shouldn't have died for this specific reason. He was to be protected during this time. Now, this kind of blows my mind because Abner, just a chapter ago, was David's enemy. And now he's mourning over his death. I think he shares a character quality that God does says that God in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 he takes no pleasure when even wicked people die when even wicked people die no Abner was a wicked man David still mourns over his death the text continues second Samuel chapter 3 verse 33 and the king sang a lament over Abner and said should Abner die as a fool dies your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man calls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God do so to me. And more also, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it. And it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. So again, David was doing this in sincerity. He was truly broken hearted over this so much so that he fasted that day as he was mourning. He wouldn't eat. And the people were pleased. Now, the people weren't pleased because David was doing this to try to please the people. David was purposing to please God. And it just so happened it pleased God's people. So point number three. When we honor the king, his people are pleased. When we honor the king, his people are pleased. Not everyone, but his true people, they'll be pleased. We see this character quality in David. We also see it in Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 26, it says, and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. He was growing in favor with both God and men. Why? Because Samuel, like David, he had a heart to honor God. He had a heart to seek to please God. And it just so happens that the people were pleased because of that. Now, 
If anyone's ever been in any type of leadership position, whether it's a regular day thing or or it, it was an event or whatever the case may be, you know that it's really hard to please people, right? It's really hard to please everyone. You can't please everyone. But when we purpose to honor God, his people generally will be pleased. That's what we see here with David. The the people are on David's side. They see the sincerity of heart. He has a love for God and he has a love for people, even wicked people. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 37. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruai, are too harsh for me. The Lord will repay the evildoers according to his wickedness. So you see what David says here in verse 39. He says, I am weak, though anointed king. David was okay with admitting his weaknesses. He didn't put his confidence in his position as king, right? He, he didn't put his strength in his position as king. His strength was in his anointing from God. Regardless of what position the Lord puts us in, whether it be a king or whatever it may be, our strength comes from our anointing. It doesn't come from the position. It doesn't come from our abilities. It doesn't come from our talents. He says, I'm weak today, even though I'm anointed by God as the king of Israel. His position wasn't where he was feeding from or the strength that he was getting from. it. He was getting his strength from the Lord. And he says, again, these men, he says, the Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, we got to remember that these men are David's uh, nephews <laughs> that he's talking about, right? So he's speaking this. Why? Because he wants to honor God even over his own family. He says, okay, Joab and his brother were involved in this and they killed a, a won't say completely innocent man, but in that situation, he shouldn't have been killed. And David says, hey, I hope God pays them back. For the evil that they had done. He put God before his family. Second Samuel chapter 4 verse 1. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron. He lost heart and all Israel was troubled. So Saul's son Ishbosheth. He loses heart when Abner died. Why? Because Ishbosheth is just the face of the kingdom of Israel. Abner's the strength. Abner was really the strength. So now Abner, the real leader, the real authority figure behind Israel and the strength they had, is gone. He's dead. So Ishbosheth, being the leader that he is, he loses heart and the people were troubled. See, in leadership, it's so important to have confidence. Not confidence in yourself, confidence in the Lord. Now, Ishbosheth couldn't have confidence in the Lord. Why? Because God didn't put him there. A man put him in that position. So once that man was gone, who he put his confidence in, his confidence was gone. His heart is troubled. Now what? Now the people are scattering. The people are scared. The people are panicking. This is why it's so important to have our confidence in the Lord. Because when you have confidence in the Lord, people feed off that confidence. 
It's not necessarily their confidence in you. They know that you're confident in, in something stable. We're not completely stable. When we put our confidence in something stable, other people look at, oh my gosh, their confidence is in the Lord Ishbosheth. He didn't have this confidence, so he panics, and the rest of Israel panics as well. Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 2. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana, and the name of the other was Rechab. The sons of Remon, the Berothite of the children of Benjamin, for Beeroth was also part of Benjamin. So these guys were, were soldiers in uh, the Israeli army, right? It says in verse 3, because the Beerites fled to Gideon and have been sojourners here, there until this day. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, so what the author is trying to get at. Okay, he introduces us to uh, one of Jonathan's sons, right? Mephibosheth. Now, he's lame. Why is he lame? Because when he was five years old, okay, when he was five years old, the nurse was carrying him, she dropped him. Now he's lame in the feet. His legs don't work anymore. This is about seven and a half years later because David's getting ready to become king. So he's about 12 years old. We were just told that Ishbosheth is troubled in his heart. The people are troubled now. This is the guy that's in the position of king. And now you have Ishbosh, uh, Meshbosheth, a 12-year-old lame guy. What's the author trying to tell us? That Saul's kingdom is very weak right now. It's very vulnerable. The king that's in the position of power is terrified. And the next guy, we got a kid that's enabled. David, his kingdom is on the rise. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. Then the sons of Remon, the Berothite, Rechab, and Bana set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. So we see these two guys, they commit this dishonorable act. They murdered this guy in his bedroom. Now they weren't doing this, just like Abner and Job, to honor God. They were doing this to put themselves in a position of good favor with David. This wasn't about honoring God. They were trying to honor man. Fourth point, honor the king more than man. Honor the king more than man. This is completely selfish and self-centered. This isn't, what, this isn't like uh, we got uh, you know, David's undercover uh, spies going in there and killing them. And I'm sure David would have reacted the same way uh, that we'll see him react in the rest of the chapter, even if it was his men. But these men, they try to do something to get position and gain favor with David. 
when we fall into a place when we care more about what man thinks than God thinks, we're going to make foolish decisions every time. When we're seeking to honor man over God and we're putting man, whoever it is, could be a woman. When I put her in this place or him in this place above God, I'm seeking to please man versus God. The Bible speaks against that everywhere. Paul says in Galatians uh, 1.10, Galatians 1.10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, uh, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I'm not seeking to please men. Though I love men, and I love my brother, I love my sister, I'm not doing the things that I'm doing to make them happy when I know it displeases God. This is exactly what these men were doing. They literally committed an act of murder. They sinned against God because they wanted favor with David. In the world, they do this all the time. People do it all the time. Believers can even do it all the time. Trying to position ourselves. That dog eat dog till I make it to the top. I'll do whatever I have to do to be in right standing with men because men look highly upon power and prominence and prestige. But what does the Lord look highly upon? Humility, meekness, not that. These men got the wrong heart they got the wrong a wrong idea and they're going to suffer for it second samuel chapter four and they brought the head of ishbosheth to david at hebron and said to the king here's the head of ishbosheth the son of saul your enemy who sought your life and the lord has avenged my lord the king this day of saul and his descendants so these guys obviously don't know David very well, right? <laughs> they don't know what uh, David did the Amalekite or they don't remember or they weren't aware of the details. And we'll get into that in a second because David was going to bring it up. They say, hey, your, your uh, enemy, Saul's son, like this guy was, was after you. He was against you and we took him out for you. They're making it seem like they did David this huge favor. Hey, man, if we wouldn't have killed this guy, you never know. He, he might have ended up killing you. But they're not doing David any favors. It's actually quite the opposite. See, David, he didn't need his life saved. He didn't need these guys to fight his battle. Why? Because he's got Yahweh fighting his battle. Yahweh's the one that's got him this far. Yahweh's going to carry him the rest of the way. And then these guys make this mistake and they bring Yahweh into the equation. Look back at verse 8. It says, And the Lord has avenged my Lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. They try to make this a spiritual thing. Hey, God just avenged avenged you through us like god just used us to basically saved your life it was in the name of yahweh that we murdered this guy people have done some horrendous things in the name of jesus in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God. Absolutely horrendous things that God would never look at and say, yeah, that is pleasing in my sight. One great example that uh, people uh, never like to forget about, specifically skeptics that aren't believers, is the Crusades, right? <laughs> so many people were brutally murdered through the Crusades. Now, I legitimately believe that... Um, uh, uh, that the leaders in that time period probably thought that they were doing something good for the Lord, but what it ended up turning into was horrendous, and many innocent people were killed all in the name of Jesus. People do this all the time. 
I'm going to use the Lord's name to justify my sin. It was, I did it for God, but that doesn't fly. And anyone that's spiritual will see right through it, just as David will in a second. But we can't use the Lord to justify our sin. Why? Because God would never ask us to sin. He'll never ask us to sin. So it doesn't matter how you try to twist it around or make people look at it in a certain way. If you're committing a sin, it's, it's directly against God. And so what these guys do, they already commit the sin of murder and now they're bringing God into the equation. So now that's another sin. We committed a murder and we're saying we're doing this in the name of Yahweh. They're just adding to the sin that they already committed. Second Samuel chapter four, verse nine. But David answered Rechab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Remon, the Berothite, and said to them, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. See, David, he doesn't see this the way these two guys see it. Why? Because David's a different kind of man. David is a different kind of king. He has a different type of heart. And then he brings the Lord into the equation. And once again, it says, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, he gives glory to God. No, you guys didn't do anything for me. It's Yahweh that's been redeeming me. It's Yahweh that's been avenging me. It's Yahweh that's been taking care of me. And we see David, he had to learn this a very difficult way, right? He learned it from uh, chapters 1 Samuel 25 to 27. He had three instances where he really learned this from God. The first time he had a chance to kill Saul in that cave. Remember when Saul was using the bathroom and he didn't do it. Why? Because he knew God didn't want him to do it. The second time he almost failed with that guy in the ball that basically said, who is the son of Who is David? No, I'm not going to provide for your men. Even though you took care of my sheep, I'm not doing anything for you. And what did David do? He almost killed him, right? He came after him with a sword and then Abigail got in the way. He said, no, 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 no. I, I know the Lord doesn't want you to do this. And the Lord used Abigail to deter David from committing that sin. So David got the point and we know he got the point. Why? Because then again, in 1 Samuel chapter 27, he has the chance to kill Saul again, right? In the camp. He gets into the camp. God put a big sleep over the people, the army. He grabs his jug of water and he grabs his spear. The point is, David knew that he didn't have to put his trust in man. He knew that he could put his trust in God. It was God that was avenging him. <laughs> These men saying that they're doing the Lord's work David already knows that they're lying and they weren't sent of God. God's proven his faithfulness to David time and time again. Second Samuel chapter four, verse 10. When someone told me saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news basically says, hey, you haven't heard about what I did to the Amalekite that told me that he killed King Saul and he probably didn't even do it. You remember what happened to that guy? I had that guy killed. Why do you think it's going to be any different when you tell me you killed a man in his bed? Why would that be different, any different? Did you not hear the story? Did you not know about the situation? And he also says this. Remember the Amalekites, he was looking for reward. He said he killed King Saul because he was trying to get a reward from David. 
That's what these men are trying to do too. They killed Ishbosheth not because it was the right thing to do. It was the wrong thing to do. They did it because they wanted to be in right standing with David. They saw the kingdom of Israel falling rapidly. No strength in the kingdom because Abner's gone. So they think, hey, we better pick a side. We better pick David. Maybe if we kill this man, David will give us a prominent position. David sees right through them. And he says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11, how much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed. Hey, at least Saul was out to battle. You killed this guy when he was in his bed. He wasn't looking for any. You sucker punched him. You killed him when he wasn't expecting this. This was horrific. Goes on verse 11. Therefore, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth. He said, I'm going to require his blood from you guys. He's going to end up killing them, as we'll see in verse 12. But before we do, I want to look back at verse 11, where he calls them wicked. And he says, you've killed a righteous person. Now, we don't know if these guys realized what they did was a sin or not. Maybe they didn't realize it and they genuinely thought, yeah, we'll get in a good position with David, maybe. Uh, but maybe this is the right thing to do because David's supposed to be king. Uh, regardless, we see that David, he actually points out their sin. He addresses their sin. This was an, an uh, 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 this was not an honorable act. This was a dishonorable act. It was deceitful. You killed this innocent man. And I'm going to require his blood at your hand see there will always be consequences for sin it might not cost you your life like it will for these guys in verse 12 but when we dishonor our king when we bring dishonor to his name there are consequences and this fifth and final point dishonoring the king has consequences dishonoring the king has consequences this is not how David wanted to establish his kingdom. This was the opposite. He didn't want to, you know, do all these sneaky things behind closed doors and put himself in that position. We haven't seen that with David the whole time we've been studying First and Second Samuel. David was waiting for God to put him in that position, and he waited patiently. These men should have known that this act was going to result in a serious consequence. See, this is why David received the kingdom of God to begin with. Because of a dishonorable act that had consequences. Now, David was obviously God's chosen king from the beginning. He knew that David would become king. But remember, Saul was king first. And why did Saul lose the kingdom? It's 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Samuel says to Saul, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Remember, he's speaking to Saul. What did Saul do? He provided sacrifice, sacrifices, which was strictly forbidden in the Levitical law for anyone other than the priest to provide sacrifices. So because... Saul dishonored the king. His consequence was that he would lose the kingdom and ultimately later on die. These men should have recognized that when we, they don't do things the way God wants them to do them, 
there are always going to be consequences. Now, this doesn't mean that God's always going to discipline us and He's always going to do something to wreak havoc in our life when we do something bad. We know that's not true, right? God has grace. God has mercy. If God punished me for everything that I did bad, uh, then obviously um, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be here today. But there are consequences even when it's simply conviction, even when it's simply an unsettled heart, when we, when we bring dishonor to the Lord's name, and yes, Jesus died for our sins, and God doesn't hold those sins against us anymore, but that doesn't mean that there are not consequences for our sins. Sometimes it comes in the form of discipline. Sometimes it comes in the form of that unsettled heart. For these guys, it comes in the form of death. See, We have so much to lose by dishonoring our king. We miss out on so much. We miss out on blessings. We miss out on opportunities. We miss out on relationship. And most of all, we miss out on the abundant life that God wants for us. See, the Lord, He has a certain way that He wants us to live. And he doesn't say, if you don't live this way, I'm going to condemn you. No, that's the law. We're under a new covenant with the Lord. And under this new covenant, he gives us a new heart. The Bible talks about this in Deuteronomy. Even in Deuteronomy, way back there, it's not just the New Testament. God talked about this covenant. He talked about what this thing that he would do in the hearts of his people time and time again. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, or change your heart. He's going to change your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Why does God want to change our hearts? So that we love Him, so that we live. He wants to change our hearts so that we get the most out of this life, that we experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us in John chapter 10, verse 10. But when we dishonor his name, we got to suffer consequences. And the consequences, you know what? Sometimes we don't always see them. Sometimes it's just missing out on the life that he wanted for us. Sometimes just missing out on opportunities like we had mentioned. The text concludes in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12. So David knew that the, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. So David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet and hanged them by the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. So David, we see that he honors Ishbosheth, even though Ishbosheth was his enemy. We see these men in this text from Abner to Joab to these two men, Rachbed and Rachab and Bana. I really don't know how to say those names still. They dishonored the king. They dishonored the Lord. And how do they do it primarily? Well, they did a lot of different things, right? Committing murder, deceit, all these different things. But ultimately, the heart behind all this was that they were seeking power. They were seeking prominence. They were trying to position themselves in God's kingdom and really uh, God's kingdom through David's kingdom. And David, on the other hand, he's the opposite of these men. He's just seeking to honor God, letting God put him in the place that he wants him to be. 
He's not trying to grab the throne or attain this power or prominence. He's just giving it to the Lord. This is why honor is greater than power in the context that I'm communicating it. When we seek to give weight to God, to exalt Him, to lift Him up, so often He lifts us up too. But when we seek to lift up ourselves, we can rest assured that He will humble us eventually and there will be consequences, just as we see with these men. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the positive and negative negative examples in this text, God. Um, I pray that we would be people that mimic uh, David, uh, specifically here, not across the board, but specifically here, how he constantly honored you. He, he sought to live a, a life that brought you honor and glory. It wasn't about, uh, for the most part anyways, uh, what he could attain, what he could gain, what he could uh, get from, from serving you. Lord, he did it because... He loved you, and I pray that you would put that in our hearts, God, that you would continue to change our hearts so that we can love you more and more each day so that we can live the life that you desire for us. If there's anything in, your, in our lives um, that we're doing that's misrepresenting you or, or, or dishonoring you, God, I pray that you would bring that to the surface uh, and you would allow us to see that uh, because I don't believe that, that any of us want to live a life of dishonor. We want to honor you. We want to be vessels of honor so that we can, you can use us for whatever good work you have for us. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.